Welcome to Mommy's on a Call, your sacred space to laugh, learn, and feel like a real grown-up human for a hot minute. I'm Stephanie Uchima Carney, a mom of three under six, serial entrepreneur, business strategist, and donut connoisseur, just trying to get through the day one cold cup of coffee at a time. I believe that with more intention, a positive mindset, and self-care, it is possible to thrive in motherhood, business, and life. My mission is to uncover the daily rituals, life lessons, real-life tactics, and favorite tools to inspire and empower you, mommy, to get the most out of life every single unpredictable day. So grab your headphones, tell your kids you're on the potty, and tune in weekly for some laughs, knowledge bombs, and plenty of real talk with real moms, and maybe a dad or two. Welcome to the Mommy Pod. Welcome back to Mommy's on a Call. Today, I'm excited to bring to you Caitlin Soule. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist who specializes in women's mental health, anxiety, and modern parenting. She identifies as a relatable therapist, an imperfect mom to three, and the author of the book, A Little Less of a Hot Mess, The Modern Mom's Guide to Growth and Evolution. Through her writing, speaking, and advocating, Caitlin empowers modern women to take agency over their life and say yes to themselves by providing practical, simple, and powerful invitations for real healing and growth. On top of it all, it's really exciting because I got to meet Caitlin for the first time recently at an in-person event. And so I love being able to interview people that I actually physically get to like hug and meet. So welcome, Caitlin. Thank you. It's so good to be on. I know when I got to meet you in person in LA, was that a couple of months ago now? Geez, yeah. time's flying. I just instantly felt connected and yeah, wanted to give you a big hug. So it's so great to be here. I love your podcast. Thanks for having me on. Oh, well, I'm excited to have you. So to kick it off, what was your biggest mom win of the week? Oh my goodness. I love that question because oftentimes we're talking about the mom fails, right? That's the point. I love this. So the mom win of the week, I think was actually this morning. I have a four-year-old who has a lot of big feelings. As Dr. Becky would say, he's a deeply feeling kid. And so I love her stuff. Love her. (laughs) Obsessed. She's wonderful. And so I have to do a lot of my own regulation before I can deal with him because he's a lot. And I get really triggered and just want to be like, put your freaking shoes on. And so instead of that this morning, I had more capacity and my husband was home and we just approached the system very calmly. The morning routine, he was having a hard time. And I brought out a puppet, which is so unlike me. Okay. Don't go thinking I'm like this perfect mom who's like, let me get a puppet. Just because I'm a therapist, I'm still a real life human. But because again, my husband was home, I had the capacity, the mental space. I went and got a puppet and I started like being silly with it and talking about how sometimes it's scary to go to school. And he snapped right out of it and put his shoes on and the rest of the morning was pretty smooth. So that was a win. Wow. So does he like protest going to school? I I mean, before I get into like family stuff here, I wanted to ask because my two-year-old's having like that issue. Yeah. I literally left school today and texted my husband that I could hear her screaming from like the second floor of her preschool saying like, mommy, does he have this issue usually? And like, how do you normally approach it? I just whispered it's so hard and then realized we're in a podcast recording, not like sitting here across from each other. (laughs) Um, It is so hard. Yes, it's been an ongoing issue with him. He's been in preschool since he was two, two and a half, but it was like pandemic preschool. So very on and off. What we've realized is it's it's a protest based. I think he gets like that funny feeling, that anxious, not so funny feeling, right? That anxious little feeling about just breaking routine and doing something new. 
even though we do this every day, it's still a struggle. So it's been exhausting. I've been where you are when he was littler, where he would scream and cry when we would leave him. And then the teacher would text me or the principal, the, the whatever, the director of the daycare would be like, he's fine. Like five minutes after you left, he was totally fine. And that was always so reassuring. The way that we deal with it now is just really that trying to get into a consistent routine, which is not easy. And just saying like, hey, we acknowledging that he's feeling that it's a hard, he's having a hard time, but that we believe he can do it and just continuing to show up. It's some days easier than others. Today wasn't so bad. So explain to me the puppet, like you just took it out and started playing. Like, (laughs) I'm curious. I'm like, "Mm, I might have to try this again. I'm like kind of embarrassed to tell that story because like in a way, because it not embarrassed, but it really very much goes against. I just want you to know my normal parenting, which is in the morning, like my husband's a firefighter. So he's gone a lot in the mornings. It's just me a lot. So we're just doing what we can to get out the door. That's why I said I had the capacity because I had my partner home. So I happened to be in his, we were in his room and he has like a toy bin and there's this like little Paw Patrol puppet and he loves Paw Patrol. So I kind of went back to my early therapy skills when I used to work with young kiddos and was like, oh, okay. Like sometimes we need when we're having, especially when kids are having big feelings, they need some sort of like buffer between their feelings and the experience. And so using a toy or doing something playful can sometimes just be enough to like sort of let them kind of ease into it a little bit or just kind of snap out of the feeling. So it was like two part. I think it was one helping express the way he felt through the puppet. So it wasn't just me being like, you feel anxious because he's like, looks at me like, mom, what does that word mean? What does that mean? Or like that just feel, I think it does trigger a lot of shame for him. And so using a puppet and something playful, like made it a little bit more approachable. And then also, I think it does just kind of snap them out of that fight or flight mode a little bit because it's just something different, right? Yeah. Just like stepping out into the cold air and getting a, a fresh breath of air can do that. So I just think experimenting with things when you have kids who are struggling and remembering that like you're learning alongside of them, we're trying to figure out what works for him and it's okay to just try different things. Yeah, I feel like we have very deeply feeling kids too. And so reading all of like Dr. Becky's stuff or listening to anything about that, I'm like, these tools are amazing. But when you're in the moment, it's so hard to implement. Or even in those off times when they're like, oh, just do play, like practice things when it isn't scary, but you like don't think about that. So I think that's a great win that you were able to do that today. Yes. So I wanted to ask, you said your husband's a firefighter, but give us the audience a little bit of context. How many kids do you have ages and what are the roles that you and your significant other play. And I know I, I want to ask you about roles because I know you're a fair play yes. also person. So kind of give us a picture of what your family dynamic is. Sure. We have three kids, two daughters. My oldest is eight and seven. And then my son is four. He actually turns five in January. We had our kids very close together. So I just, especially the girls were are 15 months apart. So I just feel like the last eight years have been packed with so much, you know, like for just so many different reasons. We both, my husband took on a new job when we had our first baby. He switched fire departments. He's changed roles. My professional life has changed and grown. So there's just like constantly, we're just a busy family, like everyone else, so much going on. What's unique, I think about our situation in, I think is our schedule. So Uh, My husband's work schedule is 24 hours on, two days off, 24 hours on, two days off. Every once in a while, he gets 48 hours on. It's just like very all over the place. 
And so we don't have the like luxury, I would say, of consistent routine. So that piece of things is hard. With that, though, comes the ability for when he's home from the firehouse, he doesn't have work. He's done with work. He gets to be fully here and present. And he really takes on the majority of the childcare load while while he's home, which is great. It allows me to, I'm a therapist, so I see clients three days a week. And then I do a lot of like writing and speaking work. So it allows me to have time to really fully invest in that. So I think that there's pros and cons that come with our unique schedule. I've had to learn how to be flexible and To be honest, that can be really hard when you're a therapist and you have clients who are needing to see you at the same time every week. So I would say it's been a really big kind of learning evolution process for for me. So it's interesting. I have quite a few friends or priests in our preschool whose husbands are either in the fire department, captains of fire. It's interesting to see because they have similar schedules. And I noticed that when their kids were young, it was really hard for them to actually work or do anything because of those schedules. But now that a lot of them, their kids have entered elementary school, they've started to be able to pursue their passion. I'm curious for you, how did your life look when your seven and eight year old were not in elementary school yet? Were you still working? Like, how were you able to kind of balance all of that? Yes. Great question. Because, you know, logistically, it was really hard. And I think I definitely went against the grain and went against what was easy. Um, And I'm not saying not work, being a stay at home mom and not working is the hardest job in the world or not working outside of the home, I should say. For me, it was not going to work. I felt really trapped. I felt like I I really struggled with postpartum, whether we want to call it postpartum depression or anxiety, or just like a struggle with the postpartum period. A lot of that had to do with that first year when I was home with just the baby, the first two years, they were so close together. I was studying for my licensure exam. I just felt really like suffocated. um, And I knew that in order to be the mom that I wanted to be, the parent that I wanted to be, for me, that also looked like pursuing my passion and my career. And it was hard. Like there's an and there. And it was hard because it didn't work right with our schedules. I wasn't making a lot of money because I was newly starting my practice. And there were times when, to be honest, my husband was like, is he would look at me like, is this worth it? Like, you know, we're paying for childcare and you're not bringing in very much money. There were these really hard conversations. And ultimately, I think he valued and knew that I valued my career and wanted like to keep going, even though it was hard. So I think in the early days, it was even harder. One, because we didn't have as much childcare and support as we have now. Two, because there was a pandemic that made it hard to get childcare and support. And three, because of our unconventional schedules. But yeah, I just am somebody who is way too passionate about my career to just not do it. On that note, I have kind of a... a putting kind of your model and stuff upon you. I know that a lot of wellness is about the self-talk and kind of like how we think about ourselves. And, you know, you had that acknowledgement and that awareness that if you did not pursue that and stuff, like you needed that for you. It's so much more than just, you know, taking care of your physical body postpartum and with kids, but also your mental and emotional state. So I'm curious, how did you sort of come across rewriting your own narrative? And how did you kind of talk to yourself about all of this? Such a process. It definitely didn't happen overnight. Uh, It's interesting. I think 
in especially the early motherhood days when the babies were really little, I just remember feeling like I had to be the one to do it all and be it all. Like I could do it the best and they needed mom more than anyone else. Like all those things that I had learned. Right. And that I was somehow, if I wasn't take if I was taking time for myself to do anything unrelated to child rearing or work, then it just like, that was selfish. Right. I, so I had all those same narratives working and I, think the real big aha moment for me, and again, no change happens overnight. But when my little girls were like, I think they were, I, I forget the timeline, as every mom knows who has babies close together, but they were little, they were like two and one. And I found out I was pregnant. And this is a little bit of a, a, a miscarriage trigger warning here. So if it's hard for you to think about or talk about, I would, I would push pause here. But I was pregnant unexpectedly with a third. And I just I I was so overwhelmed. Um, And I ended up having a miscarriage in our car on the way to a birthday party that I said yes to going to knowing that I had been to the doctor over the weekend. And they had said like a miscarriage is it's gonna happen. Let's see, let it happen. And anyway, I, I for some reason, how far along were you? I was very early on six or seven weeks, like just first time I'd been to the doctor, they didn't detect a heartbeat. We knew it was going to happen. We just were waiting for it to happen right on its own. And um, I was just like, so hell bent on making sure that my, that we got to this two-year-old's birthday party. And it was like, my husband's like, you should really stay home. I'm like, no, I'm good. Like, I don't feel, I feel a little crampy, but I'm going to be okay. Pushed through and Unfortunately, it was in the car on the way there. It was about a two hour drive and I started miscarrying and it was like, just not good. Right. It was all the things. And I think not in that exact, in that exact moment, as you're sitting there, like what the hell is going on? I did think like something has to shift and change here. What's going on with me. And then it was like months down the road when I finally got my own therapist and started doing my own work of really looking at the beliefs I had and the stories I was telling myself that were keeping me really pigeonholed in this like very narrow view of adult woman and mom. And from there, I started to shift and change. Now I get to take on working with moms and women who I can just, I know where they were at, where they are, because I was there too. It's also been really healing for me. Yes, I'm helping them heal, but alongside them, I'm doing my own healing work too. Yeah. And I think that's the most beautiful part about these kinds of conversations. Well, now flash forward to where you are today. Mm -hmm. Are there any sort of practices and things that have helped you along the way that you continue with or anything that you do daily in order to kind of stay centered, grounded, staying in that space of like positive self-talk, all of that? Like, how do you stay in your, (laughs) in a better, better state of mind, like daily? I think just like so many others, I don't have a daily thing I do other than just survive. I I say daily-ish things. And you and I have talked about that before. I love the word ish. So I meditate daily-ish and that's like three minutes, five minutes of meditation. I try and do yoga um, when I can. And I, I do move my body most every day. And I think for me, it's this, that, and you notice I mentioned like all movement and body things. Um, because for me, I live a lot up in my head, right. And many of us do, especially busy moms. And we're always thinking about what needs to happen next that I become so far detached from my physical body and really my spirit. And so for me, 
I need to take time to move or get in touch back in touch with my body and my soul in order to feel whole, right? And so for me, it's those things. And then also I, I continue with therapy as needed. I don't, I'm not always in therapy. Some people will need therapy consistently lifelong, but I think therapy can come in seasons. And for me, that's how it's worked where, you know, when I had postpartum stuff, I was dealing with that. And now I'm more dealing with in therapy with, you know, my stress and burnout and how to live more aligned with my values, how to cope with my recent diagnosis of ADD, which is a whole nother thing. So I think there's seasons for self-care. And so I'm a big proponent of don't be so rigid and think that we have to do all these things and do them every day. I think it's do what works for you, figure out what works for you as often as possible. And there's always tomorrow to start again. I just think that we overcomplicate it and get so rigid and stuck. And that's what actually leads to people feeling more stressed, more anxious, more burnt out. Well, I wanted to kind of talk about now that you mentioned it, you know, your most recent diagnosis, Mm -hmm. Um, how did that come about? Like you've been doing all of this work. You are a therapist. Like how has that kind of emerged and affected the way you are as a mom and business and all of that? Yeah, all the things. So interestingly enough, I believe, and it makes so much sense because I look back on my life in my 20s, I believe is when I really started to show signs of, you know, retrospectively of like ADD. But at that time, everyone's kind of a hot mess. Like I was figuring out, I I also am like a highly functional person with ADD. So I always had really great jobs and again, was functioning very well. But I think that's when I started noticing I was losing track of things and more often than not, more often than other people. But I sort of just like assumed it was because I'm always on the go. I'm a busy person. I'm multi-passionate, blah, blah, blah. And not to mention, I was going to say a lot of people not steamroll it, but blame it on like, oh, but you're a mom. Oh, it's brain fog. Thank oh, you. you're tired yes. and you're spacey. And you know, it's all of those memes where we're like, we got to the top of the stairs and forgot why we were here. Like, yes. And they're like, oh, it's normal. You're a mom. Yeah. Yeah. Like the motherhood culture kind of perpetuates that to make us question our own feelings, which I find very interesting because I've definitely gotten sucked into some of that where I like got misdiagnosed for things because in my head, I blamed it on being a mom. Yes. So I I was curious, like your ADD stuff, like how did it emerge more now than like aware of it before? It really was. And you're right. It took me years. You're actually giving me an aha moment. It took me years to probably figure out that was ADHD because I blamed it all and other people blamed it all on just being an overwhelmed, tired mom who owns a business. Like, sure, those things are a lot. That's a lot to hold. But my level of forgetfulness, my level of scatteredness and overwhelm, it just wasn't normal. Or if it was normal, I wasn't okay with it. Like either way, yeah. it just, like wasn't serving me. So fast forward to the pandemic, when I think most of us can relate to this, that our executive functioning skills needed to be so strong, and possibly strong to deal with kids at home, trying to, you know, do homeschool with kids, trying to hold down a job, trying to keep everyone together and everything together. Plus, I realized you're the spouse of a first responder. Yeah. yeah. So he was gone. He was always exposed. There was just so much to hold that I really think I, I just, it puts me over that edge. Like, I, I really believe when it comes to any mental health disorder, quote unquote, we might have a propensity to have it, or we might be, you know, sort of like bordering having it, but then something big, whether it be a traumatic event, which COVID was definitely a collective trauma, 
can just like push us over the edge, right? And for me, it was that. I really believe I'm not alone in this. I think a lot of women and moms realize their ADHD or maybe their anxiety really got pushed over the edge during the pandemic. And so that's what was it for me. And I sat down with a psychiatrist, did actually, this is me being a therapist. I had like three different... three different confirmations that I did in fact have ADHD because I just wanted to be sure. Yeah. And it's been a journey since then. Wow. And then I was going to say, yeah, what are you doing? Are you doing anything different for it? Like uh, I know a lot of people and now I'm going to shift more towards like a little bit of like the physical wellness, but like Mm -hmm. people change their diets, people change different things. Are there any things that you did to help, I guess, improve any sort of symptoms? So I think on that front, what was good is I'd already, because I also have something I don't talk about much, but I think it's important to say I have Hashimoto's, which is a, as you oh, know, wow. yes. disorder. yeah. And I was diagnosed very young, eighth grade, in fact. And so that's pretty unusual. I was going to say most people can't even diagnose it like as adults. Yeah. So my it's mom, pretty hard. I have to say my mom noticed my mom, I'll give her props for this because she noticed my, my energy level just completely dropped from what it was. And I gained a lot of weight all of a sudden. And so she, she was like my advocate and went and got blood tests. We couldn't, nobody in the family that we knew have had it. And and there's a lot to it, but it's been a journey since then. So I've, my point is I've cut out a lot of, like I had already been gluten-free and pretty much dairy-free because not forever, but as I got into my like later 20s and early 30s, I started caring about treating the Hashimoto's beyond just medication. So I think I was already in a good place with diet, but caffeine, alcohol, those things, just like everyone else, well, not everyone else, but a lot of people during the pandemic, especially, I really was like clinging to my coffee, um, my wine at night. And what I've learned is that while I still drink some wine and I still have some coffee, like those things don't serve my ADHD well. If I'm overdoing it, I get more irritable. I lose track of things. So it really has been a journey and yoga. So that's the dietary side. I think the movement thing that yoga is bringing into my life is really that centering and getting into my body and being mindful, which when you have ADHD, you can feel like you're constantly like floating out of your body. Yeah. So there, it, it, it is like, there's been this element to it that I think I have room to improve on, but I'm definitely recognizing is really important. The physical part of it. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I had no idea yeah. you had Hashimoto's. One of my yeah. closest friends has it. And so she's been on a strict gluten-free and it's interesting. You were saying the movement because I'm such a believer that the mind and the body are so connected. And so just that movement of like grounding and, you know, getting all of the, like, I mean, we tell kids like get the wiggles out, you yeah. know, but it helps to calm them and it helps to focus too, because then they're not like grasping at different things and moving around. Yeah. So, oh, Wow. So, okay. So we're in the pandemic, you get the diagnosis, but then you also decide to write a book. Like, um, can we, can we explain (laughs) this a little more and add another thing to your plate? Yeah, that's very ADHD of me, I will say. But, you know, I got the diagnosis in the middle of the book writing process. Okay. I started writing the book like really early on. I want to say a month into the pandemic. I think um, I had had the book idea laid out and it just seemed like the right time to write. And then maybe because part of this too, another thing I'm thinking of is as I was writing a lot about my own life, because in the book, I share stories. It's a little less of a hot mess. I share stories about my own journey of unlearning these narratives that have kept me stuck as well as clients' journeys. 
I think reflecting back on my own life and some of my own behavioral patterns made me wonder about ADHD even more. So that's how I, I decided to make the appointment. But yeah, one cool thing I will say about writing in ADHD, I'm not going to go as far to say that like ADD is a superpower, like people say, but I do think, I do know that when you're passionate about something and you have ADHD, there's a thing called hyper-focus, right? Which you've probably heard of where you tend to hyper-focus. It's exactly what it sounds like on the thing that you're really into. Well, that serves writing very well, like writing a book, right? So I was able to go every Friday. I think I had like a three or four hour time chunk where I would write an entire chapter. And I just, I wow. like lighting my candle, going to my office. It felt like a vacation because we were all locked at home, you know, together. And I just went to work. So I think a big myth is that First of all, I thought that I wasn't capable of finishing a book. So I disproved that. And also, I think a lot of people with ADHD think that they're not going to be able to finish or complete a task. And so I'm living proof that you can do that. And it just takes, uh, it does take a lot of support and probably um, somebody who's like, in my case, hey, it's Friday, you know, you this is your time to go right. So some accountability too. Did you have that person to keep you accountable? I did. My developmental editor was amazing. She was almost like a mother figure in a lot of ways. Um, and she was gentle and kind and just like would give me deadlines two weeks before the deadline. So that way I like stuck. Yeah, I actually got it done on time. I also want to add, this is important. I, yeah, I was changing my, I was work, working on diet, moving as much as I could in the middle of a pandemic. I had a babysitter who was here doing school with the kids. So I don't want you guys to think like, God, how she's writing a book. And I, like, I had help, like, because we're both working parents and we needed that. My husband didn't get to take any time off work as a firefighter. I didn't take any time off work as a therapist. And the other pieces I, I want to say is I went on medication. So I think that's important to say here too. I was really afraid to go on medication because not afraid, like something bad was going to happen, but just, I really fell into that belief system of I should be able to do this with diet, exercise, discipline and therapy. And I remember my psychiatrist so kindly said to me, like, you know, life is relatively short. And if you're feeling this, I think I said, but I just don't like yelling at the kids. I'm just, I'm lashing out at them. It doesn't feel in line with who I am. And she's like, if this can help, like, why not try it? Yeah. Um, you may not be on it. All the things I tell my clients, you may not be on it forever. Like it's valid. It's just like you would take medication if you had a, you know, if you had some sort of other medical problem, like an ear infection or something. Yeah. I just needed that reflected back to me. So uh, medication has been really, really helpful for me as well. That's good. Are you still on it? Or you have like, as a therapist, I know some people are like, no, like I can't be on it, or I'm going to like get off it as soon as I can. But like, how are you doing right now with all that? I'm on it. I am on two types of medication. I talk very openly about I'm on Lexapro for um, panic attacks that I could start having also around the same time as the pandemic, like so many other people, um, but I wasn't able to sleep and it was really disruptive. And so I am on Lexapro, a very low dose and then Adderall for ADHD. And I take that mostly during the week. And sometimes I don't take it on the weekend. I'm trying to figure out what works for me. I may be, and I say this because I know with so many of my clients, I talk about the process of getting on and off medication and trying to figure out what works for you. I probably am at a point where I can get off 
try getting off the Lexapro. I've tried it once and I didn't do it the right way. Also embarrassing to say as a therapist, but I did it too quickly and I felt horrible. What is the right way? Or like, what does that mean? (laughs) Yeah, good question. So I'm not a psychiatrist or a medical doctor, but based on what I know as a therapist and what my doctor told me, it's you have to wean off. So you can't, and you just can't suddenly stop taking any, most psych meds. You just can't stop taking, you know, um, especially an, an SSRI, which Alexapro is, you need to like cut down the dose and there's a system that your psychiatrist will give you or your doctor to get off it. I just, I was on a low dose, so I figured I could just stop and I'd be okay. But apparently that wasn't the case. My doctor said that's why I became even more irritable um, and anxious. That's my anxiety, I think manifests not only in like panic feelings about like my health, but also in um, high irritability, like so many of the clients that I work with. So not with anybody else besides like my kids and my partner though, right? Because it's like we save it all for the people we love the most. So yeah, I'm at a point where I'm considering trying to get off the Lexapro. I may get off and decide to get back on. Like I, yeah. I am not at there. I, I am an advocate for doing what works for you. Same. What works for you, what's best for you yes. what, and what you can handle in your life right now. You know, some people don't have all the time in the world to spend every second, like, you know, micromanaging their health and, and every aspect and biohacking it all. Like we're busy moms. We got to do what works. Yes. And like, if I hear one more time, like I love, okay. I think nutrition exercise, it's also important, but I really reject the message that like eating more greens will take away all of your anxiety, right? Like I, and I don't think that's what the message was intended. Like, I think what you bring to this is so beautiful. It's like this holistic approach of like all the different things we can do practically to help ourselves feel better and be whole. It's not just like, I would never say just have medication and don't do therapy or just eat greens and you'll be fine. Like it's not one thing. It's so many things. Well, it's so interesting because in what I'm doing with integrative nutrition, it's actually that the food isn't considered a primary food. It's a secondary food. So food, like what we think of as what we consume is actually secondary to everything else, to mental, to relationships, to, you know, even the home environment you're in, your primary food is actually everything else around you. And then secondary is what you fuel your body with. Yes. It'd be great to eat like dark leafy greens and like all of that stuff. But it was interesting because there's some studies, like since you're in the Bay area, that some of, you know, like the Bay area is very much into like health and like biohacking. Some of those people are the most unhealthy, even though they eat the best and cleanest and all of that, because their mental state, their emotional state, their relationships, their all of that career are so messed up that it actually creates more like disease illness in the body. I believe that eating healthy. I see it. I believe it. And I think it's, that's so fascinating because it's like the toxins or like what the the environment that's like toxic Mm -hmm. for our brain it's yeah. just as toxic. If it's actually more toxic is what I'm hearing you say than like some of the foods that we put into our body that, that people are so afraid of. Right. And I know it's not one or the other, but it definitely works. It's both. It works all together. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, it's like the stress that you're putting on your body. If you are not mentally like, okay, that is added stress to everything else. And if your body's in a state of like fight or flight at all times, that's not good for you. And so to be able to do this and to help alleviate that anxiety and all of that, you're giving your system kind of a rest Yes, and that's important. Yes. So as long as like, you know, you're not relying on that as like your crutch and I know you're not. So that's, what's like yeah. amazing. And I think, I think that's something like moms out there need to hear too, is like, 
Also, I love that you're sharing this. Like, I feel like sometimes like we think we have to do it all and we can't show the world that we have any sort of weakness in those things, especially as like an expert, right? It's like, yeah, I'm an expert in mental women's mental health, but I'm not an expert on life and humaning. Like I'm trying my best just like everyone else. So yeah, thank you for acknowledging that. But for me, it feels, it does feel healing and freeing. When I was trying, there was a time where I was really trying to keep it all in and be the expert that like I thought the world wanted me to be, quote unquote, or the therapist that fits into like what we think of as like a therapist, right? Um, And it just didn't feel good. And I can't do that. I can only be exactly who I am. (laughs) Thank you for being honest about that. And I do want to talk a little bit about your book because I love the name, like a little less of hot mess. So you talk a lot about, you know, rewriting your narrative, which I asked you in the beginning about yourself, but like to others, like, how do we approach kind of like that, that our own growth and evolution? Because I am a recovering perfectionist. I might still be, I just released a podcast episode about like, again, how I tried to keep it all together and like put on this front, but then realize like, holy crap, I'm actually like suffering and this is really hard and I can't keep up this facade anymore. And I feel like I'm failing in everything. And someone basically said like, you need more self-compassion. And so how do you like, you know, approach this where you like need to kind of like rewrite your story? Yeah. Along those lines, Stephanie, I think my first, the first chapter or two of the book are all about giving yourself permission to evolve. And that those chapters are about addressing the belief that we hold, maybe like whether we got handed down the belief from family of origin or society, the belief we hold that we need to be the ones to do it all and be it all, that we need to be perfect in order to be valuable. So before we can actually rewrite any of the narratives or, you know, in cognitive behavioral therapy, we call this like restructuring our thoughts we need to first believe that we're worth it. And we need to first believe that we have like give ourselves this permission to do the work. And so I think that that is where we start is by saying like, okay, what are the narratives I've been told, first of all, about what it means to be an adult woman, or like I said, like in the book, like a quote, unquote, good girl, right? And then a good wife, and then a good mom. And what about those beliefs is total bullshit, doesn't work for me, but I'm actually still just like following it because that's what I think I should do. And if I were to rewrite those beliefs, what would they, what would I want to live into? Like, what would I want to be true? And I think we have to start there. Now, starting with that, like reimagining and rewriting is hard because I think when people hear that, they're like, well, that's really idealistic though. Like, I'm not going to actually be able to you know, restructure the holiday season so that it fits with like how I want to do holidays or, you know, it's hard to put up boundaries, all these things that we say, it's true, but we have to start somewhere. And so I think if we start with that, this is how I want things to look or how I imagine things could look, we can start to then live into those like in little bits and little pieces. And I could break that down a little bit more, but I think we have to start with questioning. That's the rewriting. And then figuring out like, what do I want my adult life and my motherhood to look like? I don't have to do like what I thought I should do. And if it is going to look like that, how do I start moving in that direction? I think those are all the questions that I have too in my head, but then I'm like, but then what, what do I want? How do I start? That's the hardest part. I know. And you sit there and you're like, 
I have no idea. Yeah. So then what? (laughs) And maybe it's a mix of, Hey, I'm thinking this lately too. Like, you know, I, I think the pendulum can sometimes swing so far where we're like, I don't let, let go of all the tradition, let go of all the, like, I'm going to do it my way, which I think is beautiful if you can do that. But for me, I know I'm going to, I'm in a place of new places here of embracing some of the traditions that I like from my family of origin and then creating new ones and blending those two together in a way that works for me. So I don't think it's like rejecting all of the, the ways that we used to be or the things we used to do. I think it's like finding where you fit and where your family fits and that it is hard work. It takes a lot of reflection. Yeah. And so I do lead women through or bunch of women readers of the book through exercises of like how to actually start that process. And those are things that I do in therapy with people. So I tried to kind of grab the most helpful tools from the therapy room and put them all in in this book. I love that. No, it was great. It's perfect. It's the perfect book for the modern mom, because I think like, and that defines it too. Like I love talking to the modern mom and it's that mom who, you know, wants a career, wants all the different things, who's living in a different era than our parents pretty much. Yeah. And maybe even just in, in, in different, like, especially like in different, like a new culture, right. Where different things are valued, um, or new opportunities have come and we're trying to raise children who are actually, what's the saying? Children should be seen and not heard, but we're trying to raise children who are heard and seen like what a freaking concept. (laughs) None of that is easy though. You know? It really, ugh, parenting. Yeah, parenting. <laughs> it's always something new every single day. No, it's interesting because when you were saying like, what does it mean to be a good girl? And I keep hearing over and over and all the parenting stuff, like stop praising, stop saying like, good job. Because like, what does it really mean to be good? And to ask them like, what do you think of what you just did? And so when I put those words on myself, like, what does it mean to be like a good wife or a good mom? It's like, what do you think? And then you're just like, I have no idea. Well, that's a good question. What do you think? But it is. What do you think? You're speaking to something that's so relatable. We don't even know anymore because we've been told so many different things about what it looks like. And so I think when it comes to like, let's just take being a good partner, for example, or being a good wife or husband, I think it's about when you're together, when and how, like, how do you feel your love is received and you're receiving love? And like, what does that look like? Is it, you know, when it's just the two of you and you guys, right, likely the kids are in bed or whatever, and um, you're, you know, spending time getting to like, re-know each other, relearn each other. I think that we don't give our, we don't give ourselves enough time for that. But I think like that's being a really great partner, getting curious about each other again. For me, it's like, gosh, remember when we used to like hang out and have fun? Like, let's just, let's just do that. It's not easy, but let's do that. So yeah, I think there's a lot of space to get curious about that again. I love that. Curiosity is kind of like the theme of this podcast too. I'm like, I'm just going to ask questions because I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know everything. Take it out of your brain. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And I, it's in conversation, right? Like this, that we actually learn and we get to change our perspective too. So wow. on that note, thank you so much for sharing all of this, like insightful information and everything and about your story, because I think it's so relatable to so many moms out there, especially, you know, 
coming out now that it's like, you know, almost 2023. And we're like, holy, like, how did that just happen? But to wrap things up, I want to ask, what do you think is your superpower that you gained once you became a mom that makes you better in either business or life? Definitely the ability to think quickly on my toes and be flexible. And that I think is also what comes with ADHD. (laughs) But I have gotten so good at Okay, like from the first time that a kid vomited on me in public to like figuring out how I was going to get him changed and me changed to like flat tire on a freeway. What are we going to do? Like all the things that happen, like we just think fast. We can figure things out. We have a lot of capacity. Doesn't Moms are the easy, best troubleshooters. But we're the best troubleshooters, right? We can We can solve and figure out so many things. And so it is a superpower for sure. Great. And Caitlin, where can we find you online? Yeah, so you can find me at... Um, on Instagram at Caitlin.Sule. You can, I'm sure, spell that out in the show notes. And my website is wellnotesforher.com. So that's wellnotesforher.com. I do a weekly newsletter, weekly-ish newsletter. Weekly-ish. And you week. had a podcast too, a podcast. which you I release-ish some yeah, episodes. I, <laughs> I have a podcast. It's on hold a little bit right now as I try and figure out, like there's just a lot of different stuff happening. Isn't that the theme right now though? Trying to figure out what's going on. So many things. <laughs> so many things I want to do that it's hard to narrow it down. So wellnotesforher.com for my weekly newsletter. I'm also building out a bigger therapy team. So if you're in the state of California and wanting to do the work of therapy or personal growth, we'll have groups and workshops you can access there as well. And my book is everywhere books are sold, including Amazon and all the places. Incredible. Thank you so much, Caitlin, for joining today. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mommy's on a Call. Your support means the absolute world to me. You can find the show notes for this episode and other goodies over at mommiesonacall.com. And if you enjoyed this episode or have gotten value from the podcast, I would be so grateful if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review so that we can reach and empower more moms all over the world together. Thank you so much again, Mommy Pod, and I will see you here next time.